Let us pray. O God, who from our mother's arms has led us on our way, we thank you for the gift of this day. We thank you for mothers and grandmothers, stepmothers and mothers-in-law, for surrogate mothers and mother figures of all kinds. We remember mothers now gone and give you thanks for blessed memory. We stand with those in solidarity who have sought and continue to seek motherhood. Surround them with your tender care. And we stand with those, O oh God, in solidarity for whom this day does not bring pleasant memories. Surround them with your compassion. And surround us all with your grace and transform us by the hearing of your word. For we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Our epistle lesson this morning comes from 1 Peter, beginning at the second verse of the second chapter. Let us hear God's word. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight, and like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you, then, who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I learned many things from my mother, for which I remain extraordinarily grateful. Hard work, frugality, a fierce commitment to education, resilience, devotion, service to others. I learned many things from my father as well. Home repair was not one of them. 
if it could not be fixed with duct tape or a staple gun, we were in serious trouble. Perhaps that's why I love the PBS show, This Old House, so much. I sometimes wonder if I hope subconsciously that if I watch enough episodes of This Old House, I will learn home repair by osmosis, but probably not. And yet I watch Norm and Tom and Rich do things with hammers and saws and wrenches that, to me at least, border on the artistic. Now there's a pattern to this old house. Part of each episode is devoted to the cosmetics. Subway tile versus a marble backsplash. Ecru or taupe or putty for the curtains. Now newsflash, those are all the same color, I have to tell you. <laughs> or how long will stainless appliances be a thing? But what I love most about this old house is the foundational work. Ripping out drywall to see what's underneath. Excavating a century-old boiler. Lifting a colonial-era house just a couple of inches to make sure everything is in alignment so that new flooring can be installed or new plumbing or electrical. Now, I haven't really learned to do anything by watching this old house any more than I have learned to do the Paso Doble by watching Dancing with the Stars <laughs> or how to pole vault by watching the Olympics. But in fact, this old house has taught me that the hard work of getting the fundamental basics right matters before proceeding any further, that a beautiful wall is only just that, without good insulation behind it, that investing up front will pay dividends later. I'm still not too handy with a power tool, but I can tell you what a soffit or a peck line is. And I can tell you that foundations matter for old houses, for communities, for churches, for our own hearts and souls. Foundations matter. A letter nestled in the back of the New Testament reminds us of that lesson. A letter called First Peter reminds us that whatever spiritual houses we seek to build, that the foundation has already been laid. Not by us, by God. And so we're called to come to Jesus, a living stone, precious in God's sight. And then we're told that, in turn, we can become such living stones. We can be built into a spiritual house. Think about that. You and me and all of us, living stones, being built into a spiritual house. With Jesus as the foundation, just imagine what this house can be. The, the power of the image is nearly limitless. With Jesus as the foundation, the spiritual house can provide safety and security, a kind of respite from the world, if only for a season. 
With Jesus as the foundation, think of the floors and the walls and the rooms, mission and education, and on, on this day, worship and music and arts. With, with Jesus as the foundation, think of what we can do collectively. All we living stones that we could never do individually. William Loder writes that the stone imagery invites us to see ourselves also as stones and then to see ourselves together not as a random pile of rocks strewn across the landscape of interim territory, but as stones belonging to a structure built on Christ. A wonderful image of belonging and invites us to our own imaginings and reflections. Stones, he said, are old, young, brittle, strong, shiny, fractured, solid, large, small, differently shaped and oriented. There's room for everyone. Then Loder continues, the image expands to include not only belonging in a building, but also belonging in creating a space for celebrating the presence of God. He concludes, people together are sacred places and spaces, temples not made with hands, defines the church not as the building in which we meet, but as the building we have become. Our role is to be a space where people engage holiness and sense the presence of God. I love that. To be a space where people engage holiness and sense the presence of God. Now, we don't know if the writer of the letter called First Peter had access to the Gospel of John? Probably not, but we do have access. And so Jesus' words punctuate Peter's. Christie read them. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. We often read these words at funerals and memorial services, as we did yesterday, to assure us of God's eternal presence and care, and that's fine and right and a faithful thing to do. But this image of room and house is far more expansive. John Petty writes that the word translated as room or habitation is, in the popular imagination, often taken to mean that the Methodists will have a room and so will the Catholics and the Baptists. Petty doesn't mention the Presbyterians. Maybe we get a closet somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> but the word, he says, that we translate room actually means a temporary resting place for a traveler. It's less about getting some fancy digs in the hereafter, he says, in a house separate from the people you can't stand, and more about welcome, hospitality, and community for people traveling on a journey. A spiritual house, a temporary resting home made by us living stones who do our very best to acknowledge Christ as the sure foundation. What can we do with that image? What does it mean for us as a church? Well, one, it means that we take real housing seriously. Even though this day we are considering the image of a house, it is impossible for any of God's children to think imaginatively if they have no real shelter, no real house to lay their heads. That's why 
things like Habitat for Humanity, more than a dozen third church trips to New Orleans. That's why again this week, so many of you are volunteering your time and your energy to turn our education building into a shelter for homeless families in, in order for a spiritual house to be built. A real one must be built as well. And so to provide physical housing has to be a part of our calling. And two, after we have affirmed that Christ is our cornerstone, our foundation, we need to look at the rest of the building material. That's why inclusion is so important for the church and not just a trendy pursuit. It is about welcoming people, inviting people, for their sake to be sure, but it's also about welcoming and inviting for the church's sake. The church can't fully be the church without every stone, every stone, all abilities, all gender identities and orientations, all colors, all ages, all perspectives, all. And to leave someone outside the circle is harmful to them. But it also deprives us of precious building blocks, and we, the church, can't afford that. So I want us to keep thinking about this image, house, and what it means. This congregation is now in its 190th year kind of hard to believe. We're in our third location, and this location started with one building, now exists as three, two of those buildings, the parish house and the sanctuary, have undergone significant renovation and restoration. So our building matters, our house matters. Of course it does. But it can never be its own end. We gather in in order to disperse. We worship God because that's the most important thing we do. Yet our worship is hollow if it does not lead to service in the community. We teach our children the Bible, the music of the faith. We nurture our adults in the tradition certainly within the walls of this place, but that formation is intended to cultivate witness in the world. Now there are monastic traditions in the wider Christian community. People withdraw, they do not reemerge to engage, and I certainly respect that. Yet, we who live in the Reformed and Presbyterian tradition are called to live out our faith in the world. And so this magnificent place which rightly helps set an inspiring tone for faithful worship of God Almighty, remains just that, a launching pad, a way station, that gathers us in to offer rest and respite and then sends us right back out into the world. That we are the best stones we can be to build this building, yes that we make sure that all are welcome to live out their calling as stones, yes. But these walls must be permeable. No real barriers between in here and out there. A building with windows and doors open wide to the world. 
to offer inspiration within in order to cultivate transformation beyond. So look around for a minute. Look at this beautiful space. Wood and glass and stone, angles and curves, colors and textures, shadows and light. This is you and me and this is us. What meaning might it have? And then look around again. Look at your beautiful partners in front and behind and on every side, your strong and mighty co-building blocks, your fellow living stones. Consider your room and consider theirs. Consider your foundation and our foundation. Consider what things all of us and each of us must do to shore things up, to make sure the foundation is sound and aligned and balanced and sure, so that this old house can become this renewed house, this faithful house, living stone, for each of us and for all of God's children. Amen.